Okay, now we are good. Okay, let's go. Uh, quick podcast today on January 4th, 2019. Wow, we have spent a lot on special effects or sound yeah. effects in the new year. Uh, Andrew, are you in the United States of America? I am in the United States of America. I'm in Minneapolis. The best... It's a balmy 28 degrees. The best, uh, in my opinion, the best country on the fucking planet. And if you don't agree, you're a fucking asshole. Minneapolis or America? Minneapolis is my favorite country in the world. Minneapolis is my favorite country in the world, too. So we're good. Yeah. Um, Actually... I know we were we had a lot of sports stuff planned, but I had a, that made me think of something I was thinking about yesterday. Um, did you see it? Did you see the news about the L train in New York City? No, I missed this. Catch me up. Okay, so obviously New York City, the most important place in the world, and anything that happens that's specific to us is important to everyone because that's the way the world works. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. There was for about for the last like six to eight months, it was pretty much set in stone that the L train uh, was going to shut, which connects um, a lot of which runs through Brooklyn into Manhattan, and it's the one I take to work. Uh, they said they were going to permanently shut it down for like a year, like fifteen months, I think, starting in April. Uh, presently, it's just been shut down sporadically on some nights and some weekends. But they announced yesterday that they decided they talked to some people, I guess, and they don't need to shut it down permanently. It's just going; they're going to continue with like the nights and weekends being closed for like another couple of years. Um, and what re- time does it close at night? Like, what time would it close at night? I mean, it, it closes at like ten or eleven. Okay. So like it basically like if you have a regular job, like nine to five type gig, and you're not working matter. late nights, it's fine. So obviously this is something that disproportionately affects the poor and it's one of those things where like it like the the transit in New York City, like it's funded in part by the city, but also in part by the state. And where you run into problems is that New York City is a place that is not governed just by one state. You have people who live in New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut that commute to New York City and work in New York City. So so this train, like in the whole, I mean the train system in general affects people in three different states. But only one state is actually responsible for contributing to the funding of that. So if if you live in New Jersey and you are directly affected by these train lines, you don't really have any say at trying to improve them. Um, nor, does the, nor does the state of New Jersey contribute to the funding when it, right. in a, sort of a fair world, probably should. That's what I'm saying. And it yeah. kind of got me thinking, like, in today's society, um, should we return to city-states? Well, I mean, I guess that's... Um, I'm just thinking, like, everything right now, like, everything in America, I'm just using us as an example. I'm sure it's similar other places, but I'm going to sure. keep it to America so we don't, like, run into any issues like that. Sure. Everything is driven by the cities. And so, and, like, the problem is that most cities 
are built along borders because our state borders coincide with natural geographic borders. Um, like you look at St. Louis, for example, Mississippi River right down, right down the middle. So it only makes sense that you would end one state there and another state would begin on the other side. But you also, because it's a river, you want to build a city there. Well, I think in anything, especially in America, um, it's, it's something, it's like the Electoral College or it's like how you allocate funding between the separation between the federal and local governments, is you obviously have to take new modified approaches, right? I mean, because America, the, what it is now is completely different than what it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, etc. In the case like New York, um, you mentioned that those three states also, but New York's such a global city as well that pretty much like a city like London, like it's... It's kind of the onus of funding it is up to the state of New York, but in reality, it's used by the entire world. Exactly. And that and that's and that's difficult, right? I mean, there obviously are global governmental bodies that, but they mainly fund. Um, the thing is, they mainly fund tourist sites, but they don't fund sort of um, infrastructure. Right. Which you could argue that a city like Rome, New York, London, Tokyo could say, you know, if we're getting all this global traffic, we should there should be some sort of governing body that. That f- helps funds the infrastructure that just gets kind of beaten down by the amount of people. Right, and one. Yeah, so maybe that's not a city-state solution, but that is some type of sort of like g- governing body that sort of because infrastructure always gets neglected, especially in these major tourism cities. Like the New York subway system is like, you know, the infrastructure in Cairo is not great, but the subway is just as good as the New York subway. Right. I mean, our the subways here. I mean, it's I, awful. For anyone who's never been to the New York subway, in comparison to subways around the world, it's it's a disaster. I mean, I would say that, like, the, uh, I mean, I think this, the trains here are, they're not the worst I've ever been on. Like, I think they're probably, like, comparable in quality to, like, Chicago, better than D.C., like, I mean, way fucking better than Atlanta. Uh, but these are all, this is all an American infrastructure problem, because, again, this is, I'm not trying to steal Bernie Sanders' campaign slogans here, but this is such a rich country, right? It's such a wealthy country that infrastructure just gets completely neglected. Right. And it's funny, though, because, like, in major tourist hubs, infrastructure doesn't seem to get as neglected as it does in, like, major U.S. cities. Like, yeah, they'll fund tourist places, but, I mean, tourists use the subway in New York. That's a tourist attraction. Yeah, my dad it's tells me like iconic part of New York. My dad tells me that anytime he comes here, he just like ride. Sometimes he'll just ride the train around because like, if you're from North Carolina, it's like it's kind of a novel thing for him. Exactly, and so if you only have the state of New York funding it, that again, the state of New York has a finite budget, and in reality, you're right. I mean, but then how do you get New Jersey and Connecticut to chip in? I mean, that's a whole. Right. That's that, that, that's the city state argument, I guess. Right. And that, that that's the problem is that like as you mentioned, no one wants to invest in infrastructure. Because no. I mean let let's just face it, it's just not politically expedient. Like Which I just dumb by the way. I, have, I mean we have to admit like it's 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 not just an American problem, but it's largely an American problem. Because America a lot of other countries like infrastructure is a massive budgetary priority and it, and people campaign on it and it's and a certain percentage of the budget like Particularly, it's like in certain European countries, it's particularly emphasized. In America, it's not as sexy of a political pitch, and that's I think ridiculous. Yeah, because I mean, just in the ultimately, like in the short term, infrastructure just means a lot of taxes for stuff that you're not going to see benefits on for a few years, and most people don't like that. 
And because well, it, like, mainly, it mainly means ta- taxes, but the states with the least amount of taxes have the shittiest infrastructure. Right. But also, what do you call it? The big thing is that it takes time, and the problem with that is that like Andrew Cuomo, the New York governor, he's not going to be around by the time those trains are fixed. So why would he nope. take time to do that? Like for Cuomo, like what's really – it's not politically expedient to tell people we're going to shut down this train line and fuck some people over for a couple years. What is politically expedient is to say, hey, guys, I came in and saved the trains, you motherfuckers. But what also – so who's it benefiting? Okay, so again, in, as you mentioned that they've sort of reached some sort of compromise in this. Again, I don't know. I, I'm just sort of hearing it from you, but it fits sort of a pattern in any country. Like the poor, the support pe- poor people are going to suffer from this, right? Because these are people who work multiple jobs, who work in different parts of the city. And so again, it's, it's never politically advantageous for anyone. Like poor people are doing every campaign on how to help the poor, usually. Right. So how can we... How can we help the middle class or how can we continue to get money from upper class people? Right. And so, you know, Cuomo's not going to be like, how can I help an immigrant laborer who's working cross town $15 an hour jobs? That's just not, it's not his base. Exactly. Which um, is shitty, by the way. I mean, we can all agree to it that it's shitty. Oh, it is shitty. And, then and also, like, the fact is that, like, because he's the governor of New York, for so, like, you're, he has, like, I'm not sure the, the way New York is like completely divided up legislatively, but I would imagine that like it's a lot like a lot of places where he has to please people in Albany and like Syracuse and Buffalo almost as much as he has to please the people in New York City, even though a, so much more of the population is in NYC. But like those people in Albany don't want to pay the taxes for the New York City train system. Well, no. I mean, obviously, states in America are broken up a lot like countries in America where you have. The highest amount of your populations are in the cities, but you still have federal funding or state funding that takes the entire um, state or federal government. And in this case, yeah, so funding also has to go right to Albany to Syracuse. Again, I'm not, I don't, I could, I could understand this better if it was a Minnesota demographic. But yeah, New, I mean, America's states kind of break down the same way you live in Chicago, right? Chicago is incredibly liberal. Yeah. Um, but you move out, you move out past, you know, Chicagoland area. Illinois is not exactly a liberal place. No. So being a governor of that, you have senators and, and Congress people you know, representing these very conservative districts. And yeah, again, funding has to go to other places, not just New York City. And also, do you think that like, like in, in Illinois, for example, the state legislature, the Congress, or like the Capitol is all in... Um, Forgot where it is, but Springfield. Springfield, that's it. Springfield. It's not right. Chicago. That's that, that's the main thing is that it's not in Chicago, even though that's where all the power is concentrated in Illinois. And so I wonder if like that was intentional because they wanted to strip power away from the cities. Um. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, yes, that is that is. I mean, before trying not to get into a U.S. history lesson, but yes, they I mean they moved the United States Capitol from New York City to more sort of out in the country, and that was sort of a. Um, an agreement in order to set up a banking system and so they sort of switched over right. to the they sort of switched the capitals right. but yeah, but again, it's, it's all about we're not, I guess this is not a civics podcast, but I guess also this idea that, you know one of the problems with the electoral college and a lot of these systems is that because of this massive discrepancy that just booms, that started in the middle part of the 20th century these states have so many, these um, big cities have so many more people and so much more 
representation and it's not getting allocated equally. Exactly. Well, and like, Cause like why? Yeah, because like each state gets two senators, right? Which yeah. is ridiculous because Wyoming gets two senators, but California gets two senators. Yeah. Even though, like, I mean, basically, yeah. So, like, those people, you're basically saying that, like, people in Wyoming, like, if you want your vote to matter, move to Wyoming. Your vote will matter so much more if you well, move to and Wyoming. Obviously, the Electoral College tries to divvy that up, and the representatives, again, each state gets a certain amount of Congress people based on population. So, that, again, tries to balance the playing field, but there's still only 50 U.S. senators. There's still only 100 U.S. senators, which is insane. That, like, yeah. Um, but also, like, and you were talking about. I mean, you made a great point about how, like, you, states in the United States tend to operate in the same way that countries do around the world. Um, and, I mean, you don't have – like, there's nowhere in the world where it's like, oh, you know, like, I live in Paris, but, you know, I, I mean, I work in Paris, but I actually live in Belgium. And I just commute. No one does that. Like, and you don't do that between countries. Well, you could do that a bit in the EU, um, depending on where you lived, because there would be work permits. Right, but it, it, it wouldn't be like they're not. I mean, how many of those places would be like close enough to borders? Like maybe, um, like maybe London. You could live in, in France. Italy, in, like, you could work in Italy, and you could live in Italy and work in France. You could do that again because of the EU passport. That's fair. Which is kind of the big thing about the EU. But let's take, let's say, like, say you lived on. I'm trying to think of like a populous like, but say it's a country in Asia, for example. Say you lived in Mongolia, but you tried to work in Russia. I don't know if you could do that. Right, that would be difficult no. as hell. That would be yeah, because Europe. That was the whole point of the European Union, I guess. Which is, again, or you could say this is what it's going to be like working in London in five years when they move, when Brexit fully takes place. Right, unless because they, that's kind of the downside is now you can't now you can't be British and go work in Germany visa free. Exactly. Which was the whole which is the whole sort of alleged perk, which is sort of a perk of the European Union. But yes, it's it's very different again because you know the I mean because the federal government and the state government in America. Structurally, is the same. There's the governor, which is pretty much like the executive branch, and the president, and then you have a Supreme Court, you have a judicial system, legislative centers, senators, and it's broken up the same. So they're each, like, their own little countries within, but they still have to answer to a, a larger governing body. So it's sort of a unique thing. It's kind of like a massive European Union. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure either is well organized. Well, to, to be fair, like, the U.S., the pro- I think it's... It, 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 it's I mean, there's a lot of problems with the U.S. government, but it's the organization. Again, it just needs to be continually adapted, right? Because it, the demographics are just exploding, and there's again these cities. Like when they wrote the Constitution, there's 13 states. This idea, our biggest state, wasn't even created until 150 years after the Constitution was written. Our largest state wasn't even created until 150 years after the Constitution. Right, and we also what do you call it? Um, I mean, like back then, like farmland was more important. So, like you, you just couldn't be as consolidated as we are now when, like, we don't need that much. And you, area. Have, the same, and you have the same problems that you have today. You had, you know, you had people like Alexander Hamilton, George Washington, who tried to sort of centralize in cities and create the federal government, the federal banking system, not the federal government, the federal banking system. And you had guys like Thomas Jefferson, who were more agriculture inclined and were supporting sort of smaller government and small parts. So, I mean, like. The same problems just existed on such a micro scale, right? I don't know. Uh, it's. I feel like all this. Uh, so many like talking in circles, but I. You know, I just. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, again, I think there's just like some of these problems are common sense, and some of them require really complex solutions, right? 
Right. I don't like. I don't know. Like maybe city states isn't the solution, but there has to be a way. Like I, I just almost wonder. Like because I, I just know so many people who tell me like, oh, you know, I'm I'm from Chicago, not Illinois. Like I'm from Atlanta, not Georgia. I, I identify from Minneapolis. I mean, I identify from Minnesota, but I really don't relate to the outer part of Minnesota at all. Right. Like I'm from the Twin Cities. I'm from Minneapolis, St. Paul. Right, and I mean. Generally, like I kind of like hate that stuff because like Atlanta is Georgia and all that, but uh, I get what people are saying, and yeah. I mean I just I don't know I think that I think it's kind of bullshit the way that like they divide all this stuff so like everyone can just keep passing the blame at like oh well New Jersey's not going to help out Connecticut's not going to help out why are we why why should we help out Yeah, we need to again. This is something again, and this is going to be very anti-American because this is this is more government regulation. And it's probably more of a socialist idea, but you should we should we should have some sort of governing body that, um, especially for these major sort of like if we're gonna embrace globalization when it comes to trade, and when it comes to the free market, which we're doing, we should also embrace globalization when it comes to taxation. Again, it's a very left thing to do to say, but we right. should also again like these major hubs that are that are traffics for business and for tourism, like they should also benefit from some sort of sort of. Um, extra push when it comes to infrastructure like the New York subway like are, are trafficked by everyone in the world yeah yeah it's only the measly New York government again not measly they're a fine state but it's only the New York government that takes care of it that's ridiculous yeah um, and you know what maybe it could be part of like a new deal type thing where it's just like invest in infrastructure across all major cities um, uh, but that would also again I think this is something where you you could also even some set up some sort of global Global, like you know, how you have UNESCO and you have all these United Nations committees that deal with you know heritage sites and with um, environment. You could set up some sort of governing body. Yeah. And again, there I think there probably is some, but some more sort of well-funded one. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have about uh, this is a short pod today. We're doing, of course. So uh, just want, wanted to have that interesting little civics broader discussion that was, that was interesting i wasn't ready for that yeah was i fun. wasn't either but just sometimes i feel like whenever i talk to you i have like political ideas that like just want to bounce off of you because you know stuff um so <laughs> let's yeah do does andrew know stuff do they know things let's find out uh, uh watch bojack watch bojack horseman did you did you see season five yet i uh, i finished it right when it came out oh okay so i finally finished it we'll discuss it at a later time i a later later pod it's, okay. it's, it's it, there's a lot to talk about right um, all right, so for the last like 15 minutes or so, let's get into some NBA discussion. What is the most I'm what is the thing that is most pressing on your brain NBA wise right now? I want to talk about James Harden because I so Maury had this comment where Maury's you know Maury obviously stands pretty hard for James Harden, which makes sense. But Maury, I think uh, last year called him the greatest isolation player in NBA history. And I think yesterday, after the game-winning shot against the, the Warriors, he said that he might be the greatest offensive threat of all time. I actually don't think that it's, it's that hyperbolic. I think we're not really appreciating how sort of... Look, James Harden these last four or five years has had, outside of LeBron and maybe Durant and Kurt, has had... I mean, he's had a top 15 or 20, like, icon, even top 10 run. Over the last... Like, I you're mean, talking about, he like... He conceivably should have already two MVP awards. He's won one, but you can make an argument that he deserved another. 
the one that Westbrook won. Yeah. And he should probably win it this year. Although, I mean, I would, yeah. I mean, I was a big Kawhi guy that year, and... Okay, but you could, but it was a pretty legitimate argument for him, and I think he. So, so if he has, if you have two MVPs, you're an all-time great. If you have three MVPs, you know, I think we're, I think we're. My main point is, I don't think James Harden is getting enough love as an iconic all-time NBA player. No, I don't disagree. Like someone who could end up in the top fifteen. No, I don't disagree. I mean, I think the fact that. I don't think people truly appreciated how great he was last year to put them where they were. I mean, you think about it. Chris Paul was out for the last, like, two games. And if anyone on the team hits 1-3 the second half, James Harden basically single-handedly beats the Warriors. I mean, I don't want to say single-handedly, but, like, he – I mean, he was the only superstar on that team. And it's not – like, how many guys can single-handedly go toe-to-toe with the Warriors – LeBron? Well, they're not that great. Of, I mean, they're an okay team without James Harden, but they're they're like the Warriors. I mean, so if you if you had to put a top ten, so you put that series and you said, okay, you're the top ten players. Um, how many would the Warriors have had? I mean, the uh, the Rockets would have had three, maybe four, three out of the top ten. I'd say pro. Uh, I'm thinking. All right, so it'd be like for the Warriors, it would definitely be Steph, Clay, Durant, Draymond. And then probably, I mean, Iguodala got hurt, but we'll for the sake of argument. But Iguodala is definitely in the top ten. Yeah, so if he's healthy, we'll say Iguodala. Maybe Livingston. Maybe. Maybe not. Okay, so but. I mean, yeah, I mean, and they're just, but also again, okay, maybe not the top ten, but they definitely have four of the top. Well, three of the top five. Four of the top six. Six. That's damn good. That's, I mean, and that's, and then in the NBA, that matters more than in most sports. I mean, for Harder to be able to keep up with those guys by himself doing that was pretty incredible. Right. Um, Chris Paul's good, but Chris Paul, I mean, the problem with Chris Paul, I mean, if he doesn't get hurt, they probably win, to be fair. Right. I mean, I think that, uh, it's going to sound bad, but like, I just, like, I, I, I said it before, I just, I can't believe they tethered James Harden's future to Chris Paul. And I think, like, we're going to look back at it like if James Harden doesn't win a championship in his career, it's going to be because, A, the Thunder traded him before and didn't go all in on the second year, on another year of that, and, B, because the Rockets and Daryl Morey tied his, tied his prime, tied his peak to an aging Chris Paul. Um, and again, we have a short pod, so we, we could kind of bounce off a couple of different topics. But on the last thing on the hard, hard topic, what would you have done if you were Daryl Morey? I would have let Chris Paul walk. I, then, I but but then again, okay, but then you get nothing. You don't have you, any cap space. You right, don't have much cap space because because you used because you had his rights, so you used that to go over the tax to sign up. Like you could have signed a comparable superstar. Right. I mean, I think you just, I think if you, I think doing that, I think you had to accept that last year was the run and you take, maybe not, I don't want to like say, like take a year off, but maybe like wait it out, like shuffle the deck a little bit and then come back and go, go hard in the paint. I mean, couldn't they have like, could they not have set themselves up to be in a position to go get a great player next off season? Like, well, signing Capella also made it difficult. Right, I mean, they but again, did, but that was somebody you had to sign again because you wouldn't have had as much cap space because you had his rights, and so it was, it was sort of a rather difficult situation. Right, I I get it. I just think that I, I think that it's a fallacy to say that like, oh, they got so close last year, you got to run it back. 
because I just don't I just don't think that what ha- what transpired last year can be replicated. They were so much hungrier than the Warriors or anyone else was last year, and the yep. war and like frankly they got a little lucky with the Warriors' health. Definitely. Um, no, they, they did. They did. And I, again, they're looking pretty good now, though. I mean, and again, I'm not saying they're going to beat the Warriors because I don't think they will. But um, they're all of a sudden 22 and 15. But I and I don't know, like, so like, like, what is the path for them, like, with Chris Paul now? Like, what is the path for them to get to like championship contention again? I don't know. If they have it before Chris, James Harden's 33. Um. Well, I mean, again, they have to get lucky with wing players. Um. So. They have to get sort of a Riza-like production from... So either they have to do really well... They have to do what the Spurs did. Is they pretty much have to sustain success by drafting well in the late first round. And, you know, picking up guys from the G League and stuff who, who like, become players like Robert Covington. Or Patty Mills. You know what I mean? Like, that's how you sustain success with... I mean, like, the Spurs sustain success by drafting, like, a Hall of Famer... 15th overall. No, but I mean, I'm not even, again, I'm talking to guys like even like Marco Bellinelli level like players. But like, like those, those players that really help. But those guys aren't going to like, I mean, I think you need a second superstar and right now they don't have them. Well, then you trade for Jimmy Butler and you offer five first round picks. I don't know. Maybe. But even no, then, like, they tried though. I think they knew that. I think they, I think you're onto something. I think they knew what you're getting at. I think that's why they went after Jimmy Butler with sort of all their long-term assets. And I mean, I'll, I'll say this, like, in Maury's defense, like, the argument for signing Chris Paul was that I mean, you didn't, he didn't do that thinking that Chris Paul was going to get hurt immediately. You know, no, and also his window was two years. Right. They thought that was fine for Chris Paul. Right. His contract wasn't going to look bad until three or four years. Right. They figured that, like, maybe they could flip him, like, at the deadline this year or next offseason. But now, I mean... What is it like? Is Chris Paul the most untradeable contract in the league this side of John Absolutely. Wall? This side of what? John Wall. Uh, man, have you been watching Andrew Wiggins play? I, I mean, like, but I mean, John Wall like fucks up your cap to the point where you can't do anything. Wiggins, yeah, like Wiggins isn't good, and like no. his contract is bad. But I mean, it's you could trade it. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is a whole other conversation. I am blown away by how bad he is. I mean, I, I, I mean, I really liked him in, in, in college, and he was pretty good. I never thought he would get this bad. So, that's a whole... I just, I never thought he would get this bad. He's just bad. Yeah, I mean, maybe he, he is. Just, now he is. He could be good. He's still 23, but he's gotten worse every year since his second season. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Do you think you just need a, a change of uh, scenery? Like, not even, like, just a new I, I coach. Think, I, just I think need, that's the pitch. I think that's a pitch to some team, right? You know, to Cleveland, right? Or some team that really has no chance of signing a superstar. Be like, hey, you want this 23-year-old who, you know, is the seventh fastest in NBA history to 7,000 points? Like, he's talented. Do you want him? I mean, it's there, but... I still think there's a path to him being an okay complimentary player. 100%, I agree. But at the moment, it's alarming how bad he is. Right. And um, just kind of doesn't give a shit. And I was really hesitant to say this about a player because I hate sort of judging their motives. But I was at the game against Atlanta where he missed. He's like, I think he's like three for ten on free throws and stuff. Crowd's doing him. They ask him after the game. He's like, yeah, you know, we have some shitty fans. It's like, what? 
You know, I mean, like, yeah, sure, every team has shitty fans. That's fine. And Minnesota fans are jaded and, and bitchy. But still, like, that's your comment after the game? Right. Not, I'm getting $35 million, I should make more than 40% of my free throws? I don't know. That was my quasi-Andrew Wiggins rant. You had a Vikings rant. Do you still have that? Uh, yeah, I do. Let's, uh, let's end the show on that, uh, what okay. do you call it. Yeah, I'm just, like, I, I'm not a Vikings fan. I don't really... I don't really care that much about them, um, but as someone who like who covers foot, covers the NFL and just is like invested in good football happening, the Vikings are the biggest disappointment disappointment in the league this year by a considerable margin, and I mean there's just so many parts about it that just pisses me off. Like I don't know how you like anyone could follow that team even like even pa- in passing. And not get pissed off at how how fucked up it is that they just they quit any because like okay so they don't you know okay fine they lose that Bills game which I was told they were going to be perfectly fine after they lost the Bills game at home oh it's it's going to be no problem at all no one needs to worry about this at all well turns out if they won that game they would have made the fucking playoffs or if they showed up against anyone who was good they didn't show up against. Any of the quality opponents. It's not, it's not like they lose close. They just didn't... They got fucking embarrassed. The Bears last week were playing... The Bears took out all their starting wide receivers. And they let Mitch Trubisky convert third down after third down to these fucking backup undrafted wide receivers that are rookies. And they couldn't stop him, and they let him go on a fucking nine-minute drive to ice the game and end their season. Do you not have any fucking heart? And then, I mean, Mike Zimmer, like, comes out here, oh, well, we didn't have any heart. Like, Mike Zimmer's such a, he's so good with the run, he's so good with the defense, but he's a fucking dipshit when it comes to the offense. Well, I think we just need to run the ball. Just keep running and running. Well... Mike, if you wanted to run the ball, maybe you should have drafted a fucking offensive lineman in the first round when you knew that your offensive line was a fucking dog shit. Instead of drafting another goddamn cornerback who wasn't even going to contribute. I mean, I just like you you want to run the ball, but you don't get anything to help run you don't get anything to contribute to the run game. Meanwhile, you have two all pro caliber wide receivers, but you don't want to throw to them. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, okay, so everything you said is, is 100% spot on. I mean, this team was maddening to watch. The last game, I mean, you had Cousins, right? You know, bitching if he went on the sideline, which is whatever. But then after the game, Cousins is like, you know, it's only year one. Next year we're going to have, you know, cheat codes and code words, and we're going to understand each other and get on the same page. It's like, what is that? It but, just, the level, the level of, um, I guess, it just seems like when you look at great teams, they're just, I don't know, they're... It was just such a colossal waste. And again, Mike Zimmer, yeah, his defense is fantastic, and the stats checked out. They they got torched against the Bears. That's on his defense. Yeah, I mean, and they got torched in the NFC Championship game against the Eagles. The two, and they pretty much blew it against the Saints. Unless, except for a miracle play, that's not going to happen in your lifetime again. Right. Everyone the last like three big games he played. Also allowed twenty-seven points to Buffalo. The last three games that Mike Zimmer's defense played in, they choked. How good of a defense are you, really? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Saints' point is good. No one t- no one talks about that. Like the Vikings were up huge. That game. 
They blew it. They totally they fucking blew it. And then, what do you call it? I mean, yeah, no show in the Philly game. I mean, I'll give them props. Like, the only time they showed up all year, like, showed up in the last calendar year, was in that Thursday night game at the Rams. That was it. And even then, that was a game where the defense got fucking torched. I mean, you look at it, Zimmer is a defensive whiz, is a defensive wizard. But... And he faced Matt Nagy twice and Sean McVay once this year. In those three games, he got severely outcoached their offense against his defense. Every time, he just got embarrassed. I mean, Matt Nagy came in and outclassed Mike Zimmer in both games. It wasn't just that the Bears looked physically dominant against the Vikings. It was that they looked more well-organized. Than Zimmer's and, also to your, and also to your point again with the offensive line, that was the thing. Again, I'm not. I don't follow the NFL like you do, but it was just so obvious. Like, you get an offensive lineman in the first round. You need another offensive lineman, especially because you're going to spend all this money on Kirk Cousins. Mike Hughes is a nice player. Um, I actually thought he would have a decent impact this year. He returned an interception for a touchdown. He tore his ACL. Okay, you can't avoid that. But even if he was pretty good, you whiffed on Trey Waynes. So then you had to overcompensate with Mike Hughes. And also because Mike Hughes wasn't great, you had to keep whiffing on these defensive backs, which Zimmer insists on taking because he has so much hubris that he thinks, you know what, no matter what defensive player I'm going to take, I'm going to make him a star. Well, not only that, but like, if you're such a defensive wizard, why do you have to keep using the first round picks on defense? Shouldn't you be using it on the offense? That's exactly my point. Yeah. I'm with you 100% of the way on that. And again, I'm not for blowing it up. There's some Vikings fans. I, I mean... I, I'd run it back next year. Um, obviously, I would really tweak the roster. I think they're going to lose Anthony Barr, which is going to suck. But I think it's either Barr or Sheldon Richardson, and I think they could bring back Richardson for a more affordable contract, and I think they really like him. Yeah, I mean, Sheldon, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think, first of all, like they don't ever use Barr as an edge rusher, which doesn't make any sense to me because he's that's what he was in college, and he's and good he's at it. pretty good at it. Um, I mean, I would honestly, I would let Everson Griffin go and then sign Anthony Barr and have him play like a quasi, like pass rusher, like kind of role. Um, and Sheldon, I mean, let's be honest, like Sheldon Richardson, for as good as he was, he disappeared. I didn't yeah. see him once against the Seahawks. I mean, the Bears game, he just did not exist. Kyle Long yeah. came back for that game and just neutralized Sheldon the entire game. Um, but I agree. I gotta, I gotta run in a second, but. Just want to end on this note. Totally agree that you got to run it back next year, but Zimmer has to be on the hot seat, and it's got to be well, scalding hot. Well, Zimmer left on his contract, and they're not extending it, so his contract ends after next year. That's how it should be. He needs yeah, to earn it. He's like, I'm fine with it, whatever. So I mean, I think him and Spielman, if they go, if they have anything less than ten wins next year, they're all fired. Totally agree. And their schedule next year is tough. Yeah. They're playing the NFC East, and they're playing the AFC West. Oh, yeah. So, so that's not exactly easy. Not exactly easy. But, Andrew, we'll talk to you later. All right, buddy. See you.